We're talking a lot about uh, something that's better than resolutions or goals, but something that's, called, uh, that's more enduring, habits. And goals are important, but, uh, but we want to do something better than that. We've kind of launched our series uh, under, uh, off of the passage of Scripture that we've looked at extensively week one. And we keep reminding you in the last couple weeks of the same Scripture, Galatians 6 verse 9, where Paul said, let us not become weary in doing good. But we would all do ourselves a favor to write this down, memorize it, and just keep it close to our hearts. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And as we've said over and over, oftentimes it's the, it's the valley of disappointment that comes as we improve, but we're underperforming what we think we should be seeing in progress. And, and, that, and that gap creates a disappointing valley. But you've got to keep doing good. You can't give up. If you, don't, if you don't get weary in doing good, we'll reap the harvest at the right time. And so it's so important to remember that in any life change you're trying to affect. And again, you've got to start with goals. Goals are important. Specific goals are important. Uh, not vague goals, but very specific things like what you want to do. You've got to start there, but they are not enough. You've got to go further. So last week we reminded you that systems are better than goals, that goals are the results you want, about the results that you want to achieve, but systems are about the processes that lead to those results. And uh, we've been trying to give you some good resources along the way, um, and we have more to come. And to be honest with you, this series has been a, a mouthful. There's a lot to cover today. I have a lot of material. I practiced preached this last night, and I reminded myself there's a lot to do in the next little while here together with you today. Um, and because of that, hang on tight, buckle up. I, I may even do something I never, ever do. I may actually talk fast today. I don't know that that is, could happen, but it may happen. I don't know. But uh, anyhow, uh, seriously, we... Um, Got a lot to give you, but um, the reason why is because we want to give you a, a good, thorough talk about this topic of creating better habits and behavior change and things that you want to achieve for yourself that you're desperate to change, and we get discouraged and quit along the way because it just doesn't work out, so we stop trying, and we want to give us a better system forward. Now, I say that if we did this as slow and, and in smaller, bite-sized pieces like I'd like to, we'd be doing this for four or five or six months, and no one wants a series that long. So we're just going to kind of just drop the whole bucket load in just a few weeks here. So we got a lot to cover. For today, I want to start by reading a passage of Scripture that uh, I love. In fact, it was a Scripture passage that I grew up in church. Uh, in fact, by the time I was a teenager, my dad had become my pastor, and uh, because of those years, I had a lot of... Um, <clears throat> you know, of, of input of the scriptures. And I memorized a lot of scripture. And one passage that I loved was Psalms chapter one, the very first Psalm. Uh, David, the king of Israel, wrote many Psalms before he was king, when he was a shepherd, and also after he was king. And then there's a lot of Psalms that were written by somebody other than David. But he wrote many of them. And, and, and uh, the very first Psalm is very powerful, and I love it, and uh, memorized it. But I want to look at the first few verses to set the stage for what we're talking about today. Psalms 1 verse 1 says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Interesting statements here. Uh, David says the joys, the, the happiness of life, the, 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 the joyful experience of people who, who don't follow the advice of the wicked, who don't stand around with sinners. Or join in with mockers. 
He's given us some don'ts here. He begins by saying these people who are experiencing these blessings, these blessed people, have some do-nots in their life. There's some things they don't do. And then he goes on with, some, uh, with a couple do's. He says in verse 2, But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. And of course the idea here is that they, they are looking at, at the law of the Lord. They're looking at truth. They're looking at, at uh, what is right, what is true, what is, what is sound. They're looking at the law of the Lord and they're delighting in that and meditating on it day and night. Now, as I looked at those verses growing up and as I became a younger pastor, uh, I love to preach from this text and focus on those two verses. A couple things we should not do to be blessed and something to do to be blessed. And I love those verses. But as lately, I've become more and more enraptured with the third verse of this chapter. The third verse says this. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. And I love that analogy, because he's basically saying that we, these people in verse 1 and verse 2, who do certain things, he compares us to trees, and to trees to be like people. So if we humanize these trees for a minute, a tree that's planted along the riverbank that bears fruit in its season, that, that is flourishing, its leaves not withering, it's, it's prosperous. Think about this analogy for a minute and what it, what it symbolizes. Picture, if you would, this tree and how beautiful it is, planted where it's planted, how, how, how flourishing it is. And then picture standing near it and looking way off, far away, and you see another tree planted somewhere else. And that tree is not bearing fruit, and that tree is withering, and that tree is not flourishing. Why? It's not because that tree doesn't want to bear fruit. It's not because that tree doesn't want to flourish. It's not because that tree wants its leaves to wither, but why? Why is that one struggling and this one doing so well? It's not because it's not trying hard enough. It's not like over there in tree space going, gotta grunt out, gotta get, gotta get some more fruit, gotta try harder. That's not, the, that's not what's happening. The reason in our analogy that this one tree is bearing the fruit in each season and leaves aren't withering and it's flourishing is simply because the tree is planted along the riverbank, because the tree is in a spot where its roots can go down in the soil and get nourished from the water and be in a place where the healthiness of the soil around it is allowing it to, bolt, to flourish. Because of where it's at, it's allowed to blossom. It's not trying harder than the others. It's not wanting it more. It's just in the right environment. And see, this is such a powerful thing because so many times in life when we're talking about habits and, and, and things that we want to do better, or things we want to stop doing but we just can't stop doing them, or things we want to start doing but we just can't stick with it, and all the things we want to do to change our lives, sometimes we look at ourselves and somebody else and we think, do I want it as much as they want it? Do I want it like they want it? Or perhaps we sit back and say, I just need to try a little harder. If I tried as hard as they're trying, maybe I'd do better. I just got to try a little harder. But I'm, gonna, I'm here to propose today that like, the, like, the, like Psalms 1 has taught us, it's not that you need to try harder, although thank God for trying. It's, it's not about trying harder. It's not about wanting it more. I'm saying simply today, it's simply about being in the right environment. Like a tree planted along a riverbank. Just by being there, without the effort, without the, anything else, it's just in a spot where it can flourish almost automatically. Right? So environment is powerful. 
In fact, as we're going to see, in fact, I'll just tell you this right now. Next week, our talk next week is going to be probably the most practical talk of the whole series. As far as everything we've set up so far is going to basically give us a list of a few things to creating good habits or breaking bad habits in a very practical four-step process. And it's going to be such a practical four-step process of, of the laws of behavior change that it's going to be, I think, revolutionary, and we've kind of built a whole series to next week. Can't wait. But we need to step back today from talking about last week to next week and just for a minute acknowledge the power of environment. Because it's not being a tree trying harder or wanting it more. It's being planted in the right environment that makes the difference. That's what David was talking about in verse 1 and 2 the right environment. Because environment is important because, here's why, because it's hard to change who you are when nothing else changes. It's really hard. You say, I want to change, but it's hard to change who you are when nothing else changes. That's where our environment comes in handy. And so we got to look at other things. What I've learned along the way and what we've studied along the way is that small changes in environment can lead to big changes in behavior over time. I, we did some research in, in, in this series, a lot of research, a lot of things we've read. And what's interesting is uh, hearing about a lady who took over a position at a hospital as a hospital administrator, and she wanted to change the healthy eating habits and, uh, and other habits of people in the hospital in the cafeteria. People who were employees there who ate, the staff who ate at the cafeteria at the hospital, and also the patients who ate there in the cafeteria. And she wanted to change the eating habits, but she did not want, she did not want to uh, announce it or vote on it or give a pep talk to anybody. She just wanted to do it without saying a word to anybody. So she made some changes without saying a word. For one thing, on the, on the way out, and I, I, I was showing you this earlier, Nathan, there's the diagram, it's interesting. Uh, when, on the way out of the hospital, the way it was set up, they, there was a cashier where you could buy your food and leave. And right next to the cashier, there was a couple uh, coolers full of soda. And, and, and um, there was other drink stations of, of different kinds of drinks, a couple places to get water in the other spots of the cafeteria in the back. But right there by the checkout counter, there was soda. And she decided, I can't take the soda away because they're going to revolt on me and I'll be in trouble. So she says, I'm going to keep the soda here, but I'm going to add water in there with it. Bottles of water in alongside of the soda. Also, instead of just two water coolers in the back, in, in, in the wall, I'm going to put water in every section. In fact, they put baskets with individual bottles of water in each basket at strategic spots all throughout the cafeteria, including right there at the cash register. What happened was without saying a word to anyone, getting a vote on it, talking it through with anybody, over the next couple months, soda sales went down 11.4% and water sales increased over 25%, simply because of a small change in the environment they were in. Small changes in environment can lead to big changes in behavior over time. And it's, it's the things that we see that prompt us. It's, it's why you eat the chocolate cake that you don't want to eat, but it's sitting on your counter in a big platter when you walk past it every day. It's like, oh. You know, it's just right there. It's in your environment, right? So it's, it's the things that cue you off to doing what you should or shouldn't do. It reminds you to inspire you to better. I saw another study that was interesting in the, some of the, of the Swedish countries. Uh, there was a big energy crisis a while back, decades back, and they were trying to figure out how to limit energy usage during this time. And they looked at houses that were using a lot of energy and houses that were using less energy. And they found certain neighborhoods where people were using a whole lot less power during this energy uh, see, uh, crisis time. 
And so they went to these neighborhoods and they began to look at the houses where they're using less energy. And they realized that the houses were the same in style many times and the same in size as other houses around them with one difference. And that is that where other houses had their meter for power, power usage down in the basement or outside, these houses had the meter right in the main hallway of the house living area. So people were always walking by and seeing how much they were using. And by that one simple placement, people were using less energy by 30% less than those around them because it was a reminder of what was going on in their context. You see, our environment is so impactful to us. And in some ways, as we're going to talk about today, so there are some parts of your environment you can't control. There are things that you might lament and, and be sad about about your environment and you, have no, you feel you can't control every detail. But the good news is, is environment is that impactful, and for the most part, you have say-so. So what I want to encourage you to do today is simply to be the architect of your environment rather than the victim of it. To be the architect of your environment, not the victim of it. That you can decide what is around you, you can decide what is influencing you, you can decide what your riverbank is. You can decide to be the architect of your environment rather than the victim of it. Now, as we unpack this for, the, for the, our time today, I'm going to break this idea of environment down into two sections. There are two parts of environment that we're going to talk about today. The first part about environment is what's around you. What is around you? That's part of your environment. The other part of environment is who is around you. What's around you and who's around you? These two factors make up your environment, and your environment will determine your failure or your success rate as much as anything else in the world. And that's why I said last week we set some good ideas down. Next week, uber practical. But it's all for vain. It's all for naught. If we don't understand the power of environment, what's around you and who's around you. So let's, keep, let's, let's dig in. We've been talking about this for the last five minutes already, haven't we? What's around you. But let's go a little further. We, if you remember last week, we explained that every habit has it has four steps to it. There's a cue, a craving, a response, and a reward. Cue, craving, response, and reward. And we illustrated that plainly, but, but the first part is the cue. Every habit is initiated by a cue. And what we find in life is that we are more likely to notice the cues that stand out, like the water bottles at the hospital we mentioned. We notice the cues that stand out. You, you, if you have cues that stand out that point you to bad habits, it's easy to keep falling into them. If you have cues that point you to good habits, you fall into those because we notice what stands out. And that's why, it's, it's, here's what happens. It's why you go to the store and you buy a bunch of fruit because you want to eat healthier. And you bring your apples home and your berries home and you open your refrigerator in the bottom shelf and you shove your apples and berries down in the bottom shelf and you close the drawer and say, I'm going to eat better. And then about two and a half weeks later, you think about it, you open the drawer up and they're all rotten. So you throw them away and say, oh man, I'll try to buy some more next time. Because you meant well, but they just were hidden. So, so, so what, do, what do people do to figure that out? Well, it, it, you hear so many people talk about things like getting a basket and putting it right on the counter in your, in, your dining, uh, in your kitchen or in your dining room table. And in the basket is a bunch of apples or fruit so that whenever you walk by, it's right there and you can't miss it. You just grab one and eat it. What is it? It's a cue. It's not hidden away. It's standing right there. And we notice the cues that are obvious, right? It's why if you want to learn to play the guitar, best plan is not to buy a guitar, put it in its case, and put it in the closet, close the door, and say, I'm going to learn to play guitar. 
Six months later, I meant to learn to play guitar. What you do is you put the guitar in a stand in the middle of the floor of the room that you're in so you can't miss it. And every time you walk past it, you grab a hold of it and you strum for a little while, right? Because it's right there in plain sight. That's why if you want to write more thank you notes, you don't put stationery in your desk drawer that you never open until emergencies. You put the stationery on top of your desk where you've got to see it when you sit down because when you sit down, it's right there in your face. Because cues are the key to habits, and our environment can help us initiate cues in a good or a bad way. It's very, that's why it's so hard to diet alone. That's why, it's, it's, it's why people, you're like, I want to I eat better. And then your husband makes a big old bowl of nachos and cheese, and you're like, oh, man. Your wife makes a big old thing of brownness, and you're like, oh, come on, you know. I want to, but it's just like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm Han Solo over here, you know. And so here, you got to have some help. And so, because environment and, and, and cues, habits are initiated by cues. So you want, you, what you want to do is you want to make the cues of good habits to be obvious in your environment. And here's what happens. Here's the cool part. When you do that, when you start making the cues of good habits obvious, in time, you'll start to, you'll start to associate uh, the entire, the habit, not with a single trigger or cue, but with the entire context or environment around the behavior. Before long, you start thinking out of what, you start thinking, when I'm in this place, I do this behavior. When I'm in this place, I do that behavior. And the whole environment or context will become associated with a behavior either you want to have or you don't want to have, depending on what cues you follow long enough. Because the context will become the cue, and we assign our habits to the locations in which they occur. And that's why it's important for all of us to stop thinking about our environment as if it's filled with objects. Don't see your environment as filled with objects. See your environment as filled with relationships. What is your relationship to the things in your environment? When you look at the couch in your living room, to a wife, to a couple living together, the wife might look at the couch and say, that's the place I have to sit down for a couple hours and read a good book. And the guy says, that's the place I have to sit down with a big old bowl of nachos and cheese and watch football. Same exact object, different relationship, right? And so you look at those objects and say, what is my relationship with that space? And that's a big part of figuring out what you want to make your cues and your habits to be in your environment. You can train yourself to link a particular habit to a particular context or environment. You know what? Interesting study, by the way. Uh, and this was good for me because I've struggled with insomnia before, that people who were struggling with insomnia were told by, by experts, do something different. Whenever you can't sleep, don't lay in your bed and not sleep. Get up and go sit in a different room instead. Because, and, and don't get back in your bed until you're tired. Why? Because what happens is this. Well, you sit in bed, you're sitting there. I know this. You sit in bed and you're like, oh, you know, I can't sleep. I'm trying, so I'm going to just check my phone for a while. And then, no, I'm not going to sleep. I'm looking at my phone, so I'll put that down. But now I'm going to, I can't sleep. So maybe, is there a TV in the room to watch? I don't know. I'll just put that on in the background until I fall asleep to Netflix. Or maybe I'll just stare at my clock. And and you lay in bed and you don't sleep. And so the, the people said, look, if you can't sleep in bed, leave and sit in a different room until you're tired. And then get into bed when you're tired. Because what you'll do is you'll teach yourself that the bed is a place, either the bed's a place where I get in when I'm going to sleep, or it's a place where I check my phone, watch Netflix, and stare at the clock. And you're going to teach, we just teach ourselves what we do in our environment. So you've got to sometimes make an environment about a relationship. It's, it's, it's the people who struggle because of knowing how to create space. It's 
the person who in this modern day and age figured out you can work remotely from home. You used to have to work at the, at the office, but now you work from home. But how many people have gone home and they sit at their table with their computer or they sit with their laptop or notebook at their couch? And then the family's home and the evening's there and they want to relax with the family, but they feel like they should be working on the couch or working at the table because they're so used to working in those spaces and they can't differentiate. So it's helpful to have an office where you walk in and this is where you do your work at home and you close that door and you enjoy your family when you're not working because you have a relationship and an environment that you tie together with that relationship. It's how we find victory over those, over those trips. Now, some of you hear that and you're like, well, I wish I had a house that had a whole office for workspace. But you know what? I don't care if your house is little or if you're a teenager with a, only a bedroom to yourself. Like you have the whole house, but you feel like your bedroom is your safe space, you know? Hey, you know, you, the bed's for sleeping. Put a little table and desk in the corner and that's where you do your work. You can put a hanging chair to, to read a book. You can decide to take a room and say, in this space here, I do this task here. In that space there, I do this task here. I'm going to find spaces in which I work on different things. And by the way, here's a little strategy about that. It's easier to build new habits in a new environment because you stop fighting against old cues so hard to change your habits when you go to a certain environment that you've had the wrong cues for so long and you keep seeing the same triggers, you almost got to change environments. That, an interesting study, they said that people who struggled with going to buying bad foods, they go to the same grocery store all the time and they just know they shouldn't buy bad food, but they walk past the section where the, all the junks that they always buy and it's just almost habit. I got to get this junk because it's, I know where it's at and I always get it there. And they said, they said one thing a person can do is change grocery stores they shop at and create a whole new experience. I'm shopping at a new place. What's my new habits, my new rhythms? How do I shop? It's, it's saying, let me go to a different coffee shop. Let me, let me uh, find a different place to work out than where I'm working out. What, what can I do differently to change my environment to start? And then, of course, there's the old idea of having one space for one use. One space, one use. I don't mix my spots. I have a space. It's for this purpose. My bed's for sleeping not surfing my phone, my, my, this is for that. Those are the ideas of having one space, one use. Now, I say all that because, again, there's, what did we see in Psalms? Environment is one of the most powerful factors of fruitfulness in life. But there's two parts of it. There's what's around you and who's around you. And here's the thing. When you're trying to break a bad habit, when you're trying to break a bad habit, you have to ask yourself a hard question. Ask yourself, is the environment around me working to aid or to sabotage my efforts to overcome this habit? Is my environment working to aid me or sabotage my efforts to create a good habit or to stop a bad habit? So for a person who wants to stop drinking or reduce their drinking greatly because it's, it's, it's not, they think, they, they, think it's, they want to save their money and their carbs and their state of mind and they think I need to stop or I need to reduce it greatly. That's why you don't keep going to the bar with, with your friends there twice a week. Because what happens is you're sitting in an environment where the people you're with drink in that space and the whole culture is there, the music's about that, the beer on tap is over there and you're, just, you're, just, you're in a place where it just says, drink. So I want to do better. What do you do? Well, you stop putting yourself in an environment where you're not going to succeed, right? If, you, if that's the goal of yours, if that's a, if that's a, if that's a habit you want to change, you've got to say, is my environment aiding me to make that change or is my environment sabotaging my best efforts to change? Which actually brings us to our next point because, again, there's two parts of environment. What's around you, but also who is around you. 
That's what David was saying earlier about the kind of people you associate with and the things you do create your environment and like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. David would eventually die and his son Solomon would become king. Solomon wrote great wisdom literature, including Proverbs. And in Proverbs 13, 20, Solomon said these wise words. He said, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Interesting idea. He says you want to, you want to improve your, your life? Walk with wise? You'll be smart. You'll just, be, you'll just get around the kind of people that are like you want to be. Get around some wise people, you become wiser. Hang out with wise guys, become a wise guy. That's different, by the way. Um, associate with fools and get in trouble. Right? That's how it works. You associate with fools. Look, I'm, I had a friend in high school who, he, he wasn't the one that threw the brick at the window of the house and the exit the car. He was just hanging out with that group. But when the police came for them all, he couldn't sit there and say, well, I, you know, I just, I, I didn't throw it. He, he, I just stood there and laughed nervously because I wanted to fit in. He was still part of the problem, wasn't he? You know, if, you're, if your friend drives off the cliff and you're in the car, guess who's going off the cliff with him? And so Paul, Solomon's saying, look, I just want to help you. you. You want to become wise. You just got to get in the environment of wise people. You want to get in trouble, hang out with an environment of fools. It's just how it works in life. Our environment is what's around us and who's around us. It's how it works. You see, we tend to imitate, we tend to imitate the habits of three social groups. The close, the many, and the powerful in our life. These are the who's, these are, this is the who's around you, crowd. Let me break that down. The close, that would be your family and your friends. That's the close. The many would be your tribe. You know, your church gathering, your social circles, the people who share your hobbies, the social media people you have, your political affiliations, whatever you may be, just your tribe, your, the many. And then there's the powerful. The powerful would be those people you look up to they're influential or they're wealthy and you wish you were, or they're, or they're, or they're, they're just, their relationships are desirable. They are achieving what you want to achieve. You look up to them and they're powerful. In your life, they have a, they have a powerful influence. And these three social groups are the people that we tend to be impacted by in our environment. We tend to imitate their habits. So I want to talk about those for a little bit here. The first one is the close. That's your family and your friends. The, the, the family part you can't control. Your family is your family. We talked about this this week, didn't we? You can't control who your family is. Your family is your family, right? We all have a family. Um, you just get what you get. It's just the, it's the deal. Um, if you, you, some of you say, man, I wish I had a group in a functional family, but my parents were, you know, they were abusive or they were just, uh, they, were, they were addicted or they were, they were neglectful or they had a horrible marriage and taught me very bad patterns of how we get along with each other. I have no, you know, I just, I've, I've learned how to behave in a relationship from a bad example. You can't control your family. You know, by the way, every, by the way, every family has a little crazy in it. Did you know that? Every family's got a little crazy in it. And if you don't know who, who it is in your family, I got bad news for you. <laughs> it might be you. <laughs> but anyhow, no, every family's got some crazy. That's just how it is. And uh, you can't control that part. But, this, but the closest your family and your friends, and here's the thing, you can pick your friends. What's the old saying? You can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but um, you... You can't pick your friend's nose? Is that the way it goes? No, you can't wipe your friends on the couch. That's how it went, I forget. But either way, you can pick your friends. That's the cool part. Now, here's the thing. The family and friends, this is our close. 
And here's the thing. Some of you could, what I'm about to say next, you could say it for me. You've seen it more than I've seen it, perhaps. But here's what's interesting. In my experience of, of pastoring for a couple decades now, I have seen many, many, many times in life that somebody with a very bad family, a very bad family environment, was saved by good friends. They were saved because they found circles of people that became their lifeline. They found stableness through, they got into a, someone brought them to church and they got involved in a Sunday school class or a church group, or they went to school and found the right group of friends that were trying to get good grades and be good students and stay at a job. They just, they found the right friends and because they had a dysfunctional family, but they were saved by the right friends. And likewise, I've seen many, many people who had very good families and were ruined by very bad friends. Okay, how many times through the years I've watched parents lament the grief of not only seeing their children make bad choices, but the guilt of saying, how did I fail as a parent? What did I do? And sometimes you're like, hey, you didn't do anything wrong. You're not perfect, but no one's perfect. But you gave them a good environment, but their friends were toxic. That's what Solomon was saying. The close, our family and our friends, we can't control all of it, but we control part of it. We have to ask ourselves, is this group I'm close to helping me or harming me? And then there's the many, the tribe, the people that we tend to run with in a bigger setting besides our closest friends and family. The many is the culture, and the culture that we live in determines which behaviors are attractive to us. If, we live in a, if we're in a culture where it, it could be any, it could be an online culture, where if we're in a culture where people are, are kind, kindness is attractive, if we're in a culture where it's, it's insulting to other people and putting them down arrogantly and being angry, then that becomes attractive behavior to us. If bullying is in our culture, it becomes attractive to us. If love and serving is in our culture, see, what, when you're in a certain culture, that behavior, I think, I'll be honest with you, I think the church has suffered for a long time now from people since the social media day and age, linking up with a bunch of people who are so hacked off and snarky, sarcastic and snarky at the people they disagree with in the political or otherwise world, that we become a bunch of jerky people that encourage each other to stay jerky because our tribe is jerky. It's the many. We've got to figure out how to not be that way, but we, we're in a culture, we're in a tribe that brings this out of us. The normal behavior of the tribe often overpowers the desired behavior of the individual. i tell you a story. Uh, it's an experiment we, we read about. It was actually interesting to see. I should have put the pictures on the screen, but I didn't. It was interesting. Uh, people were brought into a room for an experiment. They were asked to come in and be a part of a, of, a, of a test of some kind. And so the problem was, in every they did this many, many, many times, but only one person was actually in the dark. Every other person that was brought into this room for this test was an actor as part of the experiment. They put all these people in the room, one person didn't know what was going on, and they would put this image on the screen of like a white piece of paper with a line through it. And then next to that, they put another image with three lines on that image. And the first line was shorter than the initial image. The next one was longer than the other image. And the third one was exactly the same as the initial image. And they would ask the people in the room, which of these three lines is the same as this other image in this other picture here? And the obvious choice was number three or C. But because they, it was a setup, they, the people in the room would say, oh, it's the first one, it's A. And it was, the, it was the, almost obviously not the right one. And then a minute later, someone would say, also say, yeah, it's the first one. That's the same one. And they would be watching and filming the person who didn't know what was going on to see what they would do. And what would happen was a person sitting there would start laughing kind of nervously to themselves. They'd look around at other people like, are, are they crazy? What? <laughs> and after a while, they begin to look at that screen and they start doubting their own eyes. And before too long, they'd get around and say, what do you think? And they'd say, yeah, it's the first one. Now, if they put just two people in the room, 
The person would usually say, no, you're wrong. It's this way. Put three people in the room. Sometimes they would agree. Sometimes they would stand their ground. But the more people they added, the bigger the crowd in the room, the bigger the tribe around them, the more likely they were to say, oh, yeah, they're all right. It's that one right there, even when the answer was wrong. Why? Was it because they got to the point where they doubted their own vision and actually believed? That happens to us sometimes. Or was it because they didn't think so, but they just wanted to fit in? But what happens to us is the normal behavior of the tribe often empower, overpowers the desired behavior of the individual. Or in other words, most days, we'd rather be wrong with the crowd than right by ourselves. Because there's a powerful sense of wanting to fit in. And here's what happens to all of us. If we go someplace and we don't like the tribe, we leave the tribe. If we don't like what we see, we bail out. But if we stay there long enough, we will want to fit in. You always want to fit in. Or you're going to be there. And eventually, before long, you just, it, be, it becomes our habits that we imitate in the social group of the many, in a desire to fit in. But then, the third group is the powerful. That's the people within the, the many who are, again, they have the financial success. They have the influence. They have the talent. They are the people you look up to, and they're the ones that you want to imitate and be like. And they're the people that, they, once we fit in with the many, we want to stand out. Once we fit in, we want to stand out, right? And so we don't be oddball, but then we want to be exceptional amongst the tribe. And so we look at the powerful and say, how can I be a standout amongst our many like you are? And that's why who you idolize and who you follow after will impact your life. You know, who do you posterize in your room and who do you, who do you fawn after? Who's your heroes? Because the people you look up to are going to impact because you tend to imitate their habits. Are they people who are just uh, cra uh, crazy and reckless? Are they people who are, uh, are just, uh, just is, it, is it their humor? Is it their character? What, what is the thing about the powerful in your life that makes you attracted to them? You tend to imitate their habits. And here's the thing. I said this early. When it comes to the what's around you or the who's around you, you can be the architect of your own environment, not the victim of it. You have say-so. You can choose. You can't choose your family, but you can pick your friends. Don't pick their nose. You can pick your friends. You can choose your close. You can choose the tribe. You can choose the many. You can choose the powerful. You can choose who you look up to. You get to pick this part. This is, it. This is up to you. You can choose what's on the counter or top of your kitchen, what's sitting in the middle of the floor, the guitar, or the Xbox. You control your environment. You can control and be the architect of your environment. So, with all of this in mind, one of the most effective things you can do to build better habits is simply this. Join a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. If you, in other words, if you want to be a fit person, get into a culture where that's normal. It's amazing the studies have gone on to people who, uh, they, they, they did a 32-year study of people, a long group of people, and they figured out that people who, who have a close friend who, who is obese are 57% more likely to do, to do so themselves. People with a close friend or a spouse who was uh, losing weight and healthy were one-third more likely to do the same themselves than others who didn't have that, that luxury. That, um, that people who uh, get involved in a spiritual environment uh, tend to have the fruit of that as time goes on. That is interesting. Kids who, kids who were at 11 and 12 who hung out with kids with higher IQs tended by the time they were 15 years old to have a higher IQ in testing than kids who didn't. Isn't that interesting? It's crazy. Why? Because you get around something and it has an effect on us all. It, does. it just affects us all. 
So join a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. That's what you do. You say, well, if I want to be a person who works out a lot, I want to hang around with people who do that. If I want to be, if I want to be a person who eats something, I'm going to hang around with people who do that. If I want to be a person who knows the Lord and loves the Lord, I'm going to get around people who do that. I'm just going to find my crowd, whatever that may be, and you fill in the blank. If I want to be a comedian, I'm going to hang around some funny people. But you got to find a culture and join a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. And then number two, join a culture where you already have something in common with the group. Can I tell you something really cool that we learned? I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, someone was trying to figure out, uh, in, in, uh, I think it was, the, it was out west, but I'm not sure, trying to figure out how to get people who wouldn't go to the gym to go to the gym and work out. Some people don't want to go to the gym, and some of you and I, don't, some of us don't want to go to the gym simply because... We need to do something different. I mean, we have weights in our house, but they're in the back room in a closet. We don't see them and we don't use them and you know, no, we've got to change our environment, right? But you don't want to go to the gym and the reason why is because we're afraid if we go to the gym, all these awesome workout warriors are in there going, oh, I'm strong, I'm fit. And we're going to walk in and say, it's me, the pusillanimous little disgusting person here. I don't fit in here. And you just want to, you don't want to stand out and look dumb in front of all these awesome you know, deities of people walking around. Like, and so you're afraid to go. By the way, Here's some comfort for you. Don't let that stop you. The people in the gym who look that good, they're not looking at you anyhow. They're looking at themselves in the mirror. Look at me right there. I'm good. You know. they're, they're, they're worshiping themselves. They don't care about you. Honestly, if they did care about you, they'd probably be like, hey, good job. Way to try. So don't, don't let that intimidate you. That's dumb. But someone realized that was a problem for people to get them into a good place. They would have a hard time getting them to the gym. So they started a gym for nerds. Like, you had to be a nerd to go to this gym. You had to be like, you know, you had to like know all about Star Wars or Star Trek. You could argue about, is it Marvel or DC? You, it's neither. It's Lord of the Rings, okay? That's what it's about right there. It could be, it could be um, I'm a chess player, and I'm a chess master, and I know all about that stuff. But by going, by creating that environment, people who wouldn't go to the gym normally came because no longer were they sitting there saying, you're good and I'm not. They begin to say, no matter who's in the room, we can discuss the new Wonder Woman movie. We can discuss if Gandalf is really the gray or the great. I don't know. We can just discuss all these things because, because I'm with nerds. I, I fit in here. And all of a sudden, it helped a lot of people connect in a place where they had something in common with a group and where they wanted a new behavior, a desired behavior, but they had to go to a place where it was normalized. This is the big idea with church. Can I be honest? This is the big idea about church. Church is a place, God, God, it's God's idea, a place where we can go to be in a room, the what's around you and the who's around you. You go to church and what's around you, singing songs of worship to God, think, singing songs that remind us of his greatness and our dependence on him. What's around you, uh, messages and sermons using scripture and truth to, to, to uh, speak into our lives and, and for God's spirit to work in us. Who's around you, uh, a bunch of people who are not perfect by any means and are not just like you by any means, but are commonly like you showing up on a Sunday to say, I also want to grow. I also want to lean into faith. I also want to know more about God. And I might be a rock star Christian, or I might be a very big skeptic who barely knows if I even believe, but I'm leaning in to learn more because I'm curious. And it's a place where you can come in and say, hey, there's a who's around me, there's a what's around me, this will work. In fact, the author of the book of Hebrews once said this in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. 
They said, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. In other words, let's, let's be in a spot where we are with people, where they, we motivate each other and we are motivated by each other. Because of where we are, who we're around, what we're around, we're motivated to acts of love. We're motivated to acts of good works. That's where I want to be. That's who I want to be around. Verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And what he's saying is don't neglect the importance of coming into those spots in your life where you have that what's around you, who's around you thing that feeds that part of your life. Because here's what happens to us, and I know, I know what happens to us. We get, what is the, our verse, we get weary in doing good. And so we, we pull out of good environments. We stop, you know, reading our Bibles. We stop going to church. We stop listening to good input. We start, we're only watching Netflix. We're only listening to whatever we're listening to. We're only hanging out with who we're hanging around. And, we, and we have a, we're, we're being deprived of good environments. And we wonder why our beliefs slowly change. And we wonder why our, uh, our behaviors change and our habits are different. Because we can't help our environment. Knew a story many years ago about a man that I respected a lot named Steve. Steve was, is now in heaven. Steve um, struggled with, uh, he was raised in church as a teenager. He kind of said that he just decided he couldn't do it. He couldn't keep up with that. So he walked away. A lot of church kids sometimes have been known to do it because they were handed the whole kit and caboodle, but they didn't have to make it their own. And he said, it's not mine. He walked away and he got in drugs and alcohol. And he was a mess. One day he's driving his truck down the road on a weekend. He's, he's intoxicated. He crashed and he flew through the windshield of his truck. He's laying on the side of the road, lungs filling up with blood. He's dying. By a miracle chance, someone was nearby and heard it. Called an ambulance, rushed him to the hospital. He's in the hospital. He survives. While he's in recovery, his old Sunday school class teacher from, from his boyhood years visits him in the hospital and says to him, Steve, why don't you come back to church? And Steve decides, I need a change in my life. So he got out of the hospital. And that next weekend, that Friday night, he went partying. But on Sunday, he went back to church. And the next Friday, he went partying. But that Sunday, he went to church. And the next Friday, he didn't party that weekend. But on Sunday, he went to church. The following Friday, he did party. But on Sunday, he went to church. And the next Friday, didn't party. The next two Fridays, he didn't party, but kept going to church. Then he partied again. Then he stopped. Then for several months he didn't party, but he kept going to church. And he said what happened was for the first time in years of his life, he included in his life an environment where he heard about God, sung about God, and was around people who were trying to also lean towards God. And by being in that environment, it gave him something that he was not getting when he was cut off from all of that. He said it gave him the nourishment to find victory and overcome the struggles of his life. Don't neglect our meeting together. So hard to be in a good spot when only when we when, when you look at what you're taking in and who you're around and it's nothing that's helpful to the person you want to be. Boy, we want to make sure that we're around the people and things that bring out in us the best. So what you need to do as far as church, well, you can get to church regularly. One of the best things you ever do is to say, you know. If the church is, I'm going to be there. If there's church going on, I'm going to be there. If I can't be there, I'll be there online. How cool is that, by the way, that you're watching online, so many of you. I'm going to be there if I could be there. Get to church regularly. And, once, and, and, and number two, get into a study group. I know we kind of, COVID's kind of make a step back from study groups. But when we start those back up here pretty soon, get out of rows, get into circles. Circles are better than rows. 
Get into a circle and get to talking to people, get to know who they are and, 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 and share prayer requests and learn about each other and encourage each other's faith. And by the way, get into a serving group. Get into a serving group. I can tell you right now how, how powerful relationships are built in serving groups. Working in kids' ministry together next door right now. Working on the worship team. Working last Monday and Tuesday at the food pantry. I'm in my office trying to work in the food pantry. People are out here laughing and cackling, having a good old time. You know why? Because they're in relationship while serving other people. Get into a serving group. Get into a study group. Get into a, get into church. Why? Because you want to be in the environments that will bring the best out in you. Because environment is about what's around you and who's around you. What's around you and who's around you. And consider who and what and where you need to spend much less time. And consider who and what and where you spend a little more time. Because you can try, you can try, like the tree, to to grunt out more fruit. You can want it more, but you're only going to do as well as the environment you're planted in. In the end, it's hard to rise above your environment. Some things about your environment can't be changed. You can't control. Your husband's going to have the nachos with cheese on the counter when you're trying to do better because he's a jerk. Your parents are the dysfunctional must they were, and that's how you learn to grow up. But you can control where you put the apples, how easy it is to turn on the Xbox or pick up the guitar, who you hang with, who your close friends are, what tribe you belong to, what good things are input in your life. Who are your influencers? You can't control it all, but be the architect as much as you can. Most of it you can control. Be the architect of your environment, not the victim of it. Be intentional where you can with the what and with the who. And as David said in Psalms chapter one, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it, day and night. Verse 3, they are like trees that are trying harder than the other trees. No. They are like trees that just want it more. No. They're like trees that grunt and groan until they, no. They are like trees that are simply planted along the riverbank. Their environment. And they're bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. And they prosper in all they do. We'll talk practical. Four major simple steps, big life-changing. We've built the whole series to next week's four steps. Don't miss that. But for today, understand that no matter how what steps you put in your place, no matter how you identify your habit loop, it's very difficult and nigh impossible to have victory in the wrong environments. And it's very easy to win without as much effort in the right environment. Let's control and be the architect of that environment on purpose.